If you're visiting with us today, just want to uh, welcome you again. Uh, you uh, may notice everyone that, that there's not as many of us as there usually are, and we've got a few families that were traveling this week, and then we also have our team that's in South Africa right now. And uh, just want to give you a little update on how they're doing. They, they've been busy. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, last week there were uh, major, major floods in the exact area where our team is in South Africa. And there, there are landslides, a number of people lost their lives, and we were wondering what, what is this going to look like. Uh, I didn't know anything about it, and then I saw our missionary Scott mark himself safe on Facebook. And I thought, well, safe from what? What's going on? So I messaged him, and, and he told me all about it. But it's the Lord's providence and his goodness because the team has been able to go, and, and they've been able to work a lot on clearing the area. There are actually seven rivers in the area, and, and they all have bridge crossings, and the team has been able to clear those bridge crossings and, uh, and help with that. And they're also working to encourage the camps. Uh, today they've, they've gone to several churches and have been part of their worship services today. Um, they're going to paint a church next week. They're improving the house. And so they're, they're working hard and we can continue to pray for the Lord to teach them, to give them grace and mercy and strength. Uh, they had a lot of traveling the other day. And, and so uh, they're doing good. I'll continue to post on our, on our Facebook group about them, but I want to lift them up in prayer. Um, Today we are going to be diving back into our series uh, called Foundations and Pillars. And we can put the banner up here just um, to see what, what we've been doing the last uh, month here. We're in a series that we are seeking to revisit what, what are the foundations of our church and then how do those foundations then shape our ministry pillars, which you can see over here, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. This is what our church is uh, committed to, and, and our foundation is the gospel. Our foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we have said the gospel is God's good news of salvation through faith and repentance in Jesus. It's God's good news of salvation for sinners through the repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so this morning I just want to uh, review a little bit what have the first three weeks been, what foundational elements of the gospel have we looked at. Uh, does someone remember three weeks ago, you can call it out, does someone remember what we looked at? What is the first foundational element of the gospel? What's the first thing we, we looked at, and, and, and where, where does the gospel start? The message of the gospel. Let's call it out if you know it. God, right? It's, it's, it's God's news. It's a message from God about God. And we saw that God is glorious. We, we, we serve a glorious God. We, the Bible teaches that there is one true God, that there's not many gods, gods, there's one God. He created all things. He sustains all things. Everything good is from Him, and He is glorious. He, he made us for Himself. God, God created you and me so that we could know Him, so we could have a relationship with Him, so we could reflect His glory, we could find our joy in Him. This is who God is. He is a glorious God. He, he is bigger than we can imagine. He is higher than we could ever, ever explain. But he, he wants to know us, and He has come to us, and He is worthy of all our worship. And we need to understand that this God is worthy of the worship of all people. You and me and the people in South Africa and people in China and people in the Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere and in the past and in the future, this God is worthy of all worship because he has made all people. And he is a good, <coughs> a good God. Excuse me. Now, what is the second foundation 
we looked at. God is glorious. The gospel starts with, with God and who he is in his glory. Then what? what? What do we go to next to understand the gospel? The glory of God and then man, the sinfulness of man. So God made us for himself. He made us to know his glory, but the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And what that means is not that we've tried really hard to, to reach God's glory, but we just fell short. It means that, that we completely missed the mark. It means that, that we exchanged his glory for a different glory. It means that, that we, we looked at the glory of God, we looked at the glory of our creator, and, and we said, that's not glorious. We looked at God and said, we don't want him to be our God. We want something else to be our God. We want to be God. And so we turned away from him. We turned to these idols. And we turned away from his law. We turned to our own way. And we, re- we rejected God. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that all humans, including you and me, have rejected God. We've rebelled against him. We've said, we don't want you, God. And it teaches that because we've rejected God and because God is, is both holy and righteous and just, that, that we deserve a punishment for that rejection, that, that God must punish sin, and that punishment is eternal wrath. It's the eternal condemnation that we face in hell because of our sin against Him. So this is what the Bible teaches, that God is glorious, but that we are sinful. And that because He is holy, that our sin deserves punishment. And left to ourselves, we will face that punishment. Left to ourselves, we will bear God's wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. Now that's bad news. That doesn't sound like the gospel. That doesn't sound like good news. That just sounds like bad news. But it prepares the way for what the New Testament calls the gospel, the good news. And who does the good news center on? The person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news of the Bible is that God did not leave us in our sin. God did not leave us in, in the state of rejection, that we were, he didn't leave us as rebels to be punished, but that he sent his son who, who took on flesh and, and became our savior. Jesus Christ, the God-man, became our savior. He lived the righteous life we never lived. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never fell into temptation. Jesus never rebelled against God. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He's the only person in all of history who doesn't deserve hell. And yet, Jesus then went through hell for you and me. Jesus went to the cross and he died the death that we deserve to die. He took our penalty of sin on himself, a righteous substitute for unrighteous people. One verse says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become his righteousness. That's the good news of Jesus is that God sent his son to bear our sin so that we can be freed from our sin. We can be saved. We can have forgiveness and have, we can come back to God who is our creator. and We can find our joy in him again. So this is good news, isn't it? This, this is the gospel. This is the power of God for salvation. This is why we've gathered this morning, is to worship this God who is glorious and who has saved us, even though we don't deserve it, by loving us so much that he sent his son to bear our sins. This is good news. But we can't stop there. There's one more element to the gospel that is so important. Because here's the question. If God has done all that, then the question is, how do you get in on that good news? How does anyone get saved. Is everybody saved? Did did, did this just happen in such a way that now everybody will go to heaven? 
Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches, even after the cross, that there will still be people who reject God and bear the punishment for their sins. So not everyone is saved. And if not everyone is saved, but if Jesus has done it all so that we can be saved, then then who will be saved? And, and, And how do we become saved? And here's what the Bible says. This is the, this is the main idea. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's so important. It's urgent. Salvation is received through repentance and faith. Simple, straightforward. This is what the Bible teaches. Salvation is received through repentance and faith. Whoever repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. That, that work on the cross that Jesus did for us, dying for our sins and rising again, whoever repents of their sin and puts their faith in who He is and what He's done will be saved from judgment, will be saved from hell, will be saved from death, and will be saved to the glory of God. And so today we're going to look at repentance and faith. And to do this, we're going to go back to where we were last week in Luke chapter 9. If you would open your Bible to Luke 9, And we're going to look today at verses 23 through 26. Now we saw last week in this passage that we looked closely at the verses right before this, verses 18 through 22, and we saw who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. So so in verses 18 through 22, here's who Jesus said he was. He said, I am the Christ, which means I am the Savior that God has promised. I am the King that God has promised. And, And the disciples of Jesus figured that the, the, the king that God sent, the Savior, he was going to conquer. He was going to come and judge all their enemies and establish his kingdom. But Jesus said, no, I've not come to conquer my enemies. I've come to die for my enemies. I've come to suffer many things. And I've come to be rejected. And I've come to be killed so that my enemies can be saved, so that you can be saved, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And that's exactly what Jesus did, what we celebrated on Easter Sunday last week, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Now this week, what we want to look at closely in verses 23-26 is how we should respond. We touched on it briefly last week, but this week we want to closely look at these verses and ask, how should we respond to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? And I just want to underscore again, the stakes can't be higher with this. For ourselves, for the people that or in our lives, the stakes can't be any higher. What we're looking at this morning is the question, How can we be saved for all of eternity? Who will be saved for all of eternity and who will not be saved? What we're looking at this morning determines the answer to that question. So the stakes could not be higher. How we respond to Jesus is the ultimate question for our lives. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23-26. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This morning we're looking at repentance 
and faith. We're going to look at the meaning of repentance and faith. What, what, what is repentance? What is faith? We're going to look at what Jesus says the life of repentance and faith looks like. We're going to see the necessity of repentance and faith and also the possibility of repentance and faith. The meaning of repentance and faith, the life of repentance and faith, the necessity for repentance and faith, and the possibility of it. And you may be thinking right now, Phil, this passage does not even talk about repentance and faith. And while Jesus doesn't use the words repent and believe here, I want to show you that what he's saying here is essentially a call to do these things. We, can, we need to understand what Jesus is saying here in Luke 9 as a call to repent and believe. And so to do that, we need to understand what repentance and faith are. What, what does the Bible teach about repentance and faith? What are these things? So what is repentance? What is faith? I want you to imagine with me that you are taking a road trip and, and you're going to go to the beach. And let's just set our, our directions here from where we are right now Generally speaking, you're going down to the Gulf. Which direction do we need to go? We need to go south, right? Okay, just make sure we all understand. We need to go south to get to the Gulf. All right, it's important to understand this illustration. So comes comes time to get on the I-65 interchange there in Birmingham, and, and you left early, you're sleepy, your coffee's not kicked in, and you don't realize that you went north. You went north instead of south. And so, so you don't realize that you're going one hour, two hours, three hours, and, and then all of a sudden you hear a loud boom and a hiss and you realize you blew your tire out. So, so you've gone three hours north to the beach. You don't realize it. You blow your tire out. You don't have a spare. Or if you're like me, you just can't change your own tire. And so what do you do? You, you, you call AAA. You call roadside assistance. And they send a guy out, nice guy. He changes your tire for you, gets you all fixed up. And, and he says, so where are you heading? And, and, and you tell him, I'm going to the beach. Then you hop back in your car and you keep driving north. You know, this is how many people think about what Jesus does for us. We're, we're living our lives. We're, we're doing what we want to do, but we, but we blow a tire. Sin is like a flat tire. And what Jesus does is he comes and he fixes up our flat tire and, 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 he, and he gets us on our way again so we can keep going the way we were going. And, and whenever we get a flat tire, we can go back to Jesus. We can call him up and say, Jesus, I blew, I blew a tire again. He fixed fix my tire and then we keep going. Keep going the way we were going. And the problem is we don't realize we're going the wrong way. We don't just need someone to come fix us up. We need someone to turn us completely around. And that is exactly what Jesus calls us to do when he comes to us. He doesn't just say, I'm going to come fix you up so you can keep doing what you were doing, live the life you were living. No, Jesus comes and he says, you're living the completely wrong way. You need to turn completely around. You need to do a 180 on the way you're living. The life you're living now is completely wrong. You need to turn and live a different kind of life. You need to get going the, the other direction. You need to get on the, on the other road. You need to go the other way. This is what repentance is. We saw a description of it in 1 Thessalonians a few months ago. This is what Paul said the Thessalonians did when they believed in the gospel. He, he says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's how Paul describes the salvation of the Thessalonian church. What did they do? They turned to God from idols. You hear that word? They turned. They, they, they went from facing one direction to facing the other direction. They went from worshiping idols to worshiping God, from serving idols to serving the one true God. That's what repentance is. It is a turning. It is a changing 
It, it is going from worshiping idols to worshiping God, from following our sin to following Jesus, from, from living for ourselves to living for the kingdom of God. That's what it means to repent. It means you turn the other way. And this is the pattern we see in Jesus' call in, in these verses. Look at what he says in verse 23. He, he says that we need to turn from one thing to another thing. What do we need to do? We need to deny ourselves and we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We need to turn from ourselves and turn to the cross. We need to turn from the way that we want to go and turn to the way that Jesus has gone, the way of the cross. Jesus is calling us to repentance in this passage. He's calling us to turn from our own way to the way of the cross, from following ourselves to following him. Now what about faith? What is faith? We generally equate faith with belief, right? Faith is believing. But according to the Bible, faith is more than mere belief. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that definition is so important and so helpful because it shows us that faith is more than just believing in something. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for. So let's think about that. Does faith include belief? Yes. Yes, faith includes belief. It's assurance. Assurance means you're confident about something. Assurance means you believe something. You are sure of something. That's what assurance is. But what is it the assurance of? Of things hoped for, right? Of things hoped for. What does it mean to hope in something? To hope in something means that, that you set yourself out on it. You trust in it. You rely on it. You put the full weight of your life onto something else. That's what it means to hope in something. And so if faith is the assurance that things hoped for, then faith is relying on something with the confidence that that thing is reliable. Faith is relying on something, believing this is reliable. I'm not, I'm not worried if it's going to be good enough. I know for sure that I can lay myself out on this reality and it will hold the weight of my life. That's what faith is and that's what, that's what we do when we come to Jesus. We put the full weight of our life on Him, believing that He is reliable. In our passage today in Luke 9, Jesus is calling us to put our faith in Him. You th- Think about what He has just said. He just said, I am the Christ. I am the Savior King. I am the Son of Man, and I'm going to live the life that you cannot live, die the death you deserve to die, rise again from the dead, and if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want life, then you need to listen to me. What what is that? It's a call to believe Him. It's a call to faith. It's a call to trust what He's saying about Himself. Jesus is saying, I'm the Savior King. Do you believe that? I'm the one who saves you from your sin. Do you believe that? Then then put your faith in me. Put your assurance in me. Rely on me. It's a call to faith. And so we see in this passage, faith and repentance. Jesus is saying, come to me, rely on me, follow me. And so that's, that's what repentance means. It means to turn from God, from sin to God, to turn from ourselves to following Jesus in faith, in in assurance that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus has done what he said he would do. But then we need to ask, what does this look like? What what does it look like to repent and believe? That's all very abstract, isn't it? That's that's just uh, uh, big categories. What does this mean 
And let's listen again to the words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, it would be wrong for us to look at this passage and say, here's what Jesus is saying, that that to be saved we need to repent and we need to believe and we also need to deny ourselves and we also need to take up our cross and we also need to follow him as if there's all of these requirements that Jesus is putting on us. No, that's not what Jesus is doing in this passage. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us a picture of the, of the life of repentance and faith that we need to live. That What he's doing is he's painting a picture for us. This is what a repentant life looks like. And I want us to observe a few things about his call here. First, notice, church, Jesus is calling us to himself. This is a call to himself. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would lose his life for my sake, Jesus is calling us to himself. He's, he's saying, if you believe who I am, if you believe what I'm going to do, if you believe I'm the Savior King, then, then, then you're going to want me. And if you want me, here's what you need to do. So Jesus is the center of this call. Jesus is the goal of this call. So, so repentance and faith is always geared towards Jesus. It's, it's always turning from ourselves and turning from or aligning ourselves to, to Jesus and putting our faith in him and saying, you're the one we want. You're the one, you are our treasure. We sang it earlier. We said, my, my treasure, my eternal life is Jesus alone. And so, so the call centers on him. I also want you to notice the frequency of his instruction. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily, every single day. So Jesus is not calling us to make a one-time decision, a singular moment with no ramifications in the future. No, Jesus is saying you need to live a lifestyle like this. You need to have a day-by-day pattern of denying yourself taking up your cross and following me day by day, which which turns into weeks, which turns into months, which turns into years, which turns into decades, which turns into a life, doesn't it? If you do this day by day, he's calling us to a life of this, a lifetime of this. And church, let me ask you, what will your life be? Our lives are only so long, and one day they'll be over, and you need to ask, what will your life be when it's over? And the answer to that question is, whatever you did with each day. Whatever you did with each day is what your life will be. Now, for myself, if I continue to live the life I'm living right now, then someday when it's my time and you're at my funeral, you will hear someone stand up and say, Phil Moser lived a life of eating Eggo waffles. Lived a life of eating Eggo waffles. You know why they can say that? Because I eat, I eat Eggos every single day. I love Eggo waffles. Just a bunch of syrup and peanut butter. I put them in the toaster. And, and, and they're so good. Twice a day sometimes. And so, so if I eat them every single day, you don't need to come back at my funeral and say he, he ate waffles on this day and this day. And this. No, you just say, he, 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 his whole life was about eating Eggo waffles. Now maybe I need to change that. Maybe I should drink blended kale every day of my life or something like that. <laughs> But the point is, whatever I do each day determines 
the life I live, right? And this is what Jesus is saying when he calls us to a daily denying of ourselves, a daily following him, a daily taking up of our cross. He's saying, live a life of this. Let this be what your life is. Now, really, what he's calling us to do is two things. And you can, you can notice this if you, if you look at the verse. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That, that verb for come after me is actually the same word, follow me. So here's what Jesus is saying. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, so, so the emphasis is on denying yourself and taking up your cross. If you want to follow me, here's how you do it. You deny yourself and you take up your cross. That's how you follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. So so what is self-denial? What does it mean to deny ourselves? It means to reject our sinful desires and our self-centered mindset. That's what it means. It means that you you look at your sinful desires and you you take that self-centered ambition that we all have and and you say, no. You say, you are not going to be king of your own life. What you want to do is not what matters anymore. Your ambition is not what matters anymore. Your your personal desires is not what matters anymore. You are not in charge of your own life anymore. You you, you say no to being king of your own life. That's what it means to deny yourself. And so that's what we're turning from. We're turning from acting like we own our lives. We're turning from acting like we created ourselves, acting like life is about us, acting like we can do what we want to do when we want to do it because we're in charge. We're, 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 We're saying no to all of that. And then we're turning to taking up our cross. We're turning to taking up our cross. Now, to understand what Jesus means by take up your cross, we need to understand what the cross meant to Jesus. This is important because you hear a lot of people say, hey, we all got our cross to bear. We all got our cross to bear. And they just mean any sort of suffering that we might have in our lives, right? If we have any suffering, you can say, that's my cross. That's not what Jesus means. Not everyone in this world that suffers has taken up their cross. To suffer is not to take up your cross. To take up your cross is to follow Jesus and what the cross meant for Jesus. So, so, so the cross generally is a picture of suffering. It's a picture of shame. It's a picture of death. It's a picture of execution. It is those things. That that is the symbol Jesus gives. But let's ask this. Why did Jesus take up his cross? Why did Jesus take up his cross? Jesus took up his cross in costly obedience to his Father and in sacrificial love for us. That's what the cross is for Jesus. That's why there's a cross behind us here. Not because we are obsessed with death and execution. No, there's a cross behind us because Jesus took up his cross to love us. Jesus took up his cross and sacrificed himself for us. He gave himself for us. He, he, He gave himself in obedience to the Father's will. This is what the cross means. So when Jesus says to us, take up your cross, what Jesus is saying is embrace a life of costly obedience to God, and of sacrificial love for others. That's what you turn to. That's what you turn to when you repent. You don't just turn from denying yourself, but you turn to a life that is oriented around obeying God and loving others at any cost to yourself. Your life is no longer about you. Your life is about glorifying God and sacrificing yourself and suffering if that's what the Lord brings so that you can help others around you know Christ better. 
That's what it means to take up your cross. So, so we follow Jesus by living like he lived and doing what he did. Sacrificing our, ourselves in obedience to God and for the joy of all people. So, so to me, church, I just want to say this is so this was helpful to me this week. This was important to me because I think I'd begun to view repentance as just this, this inward thing where I turn from sin and I turn to holiness generally, but, but not to connect it to the kind of life God wants me to live. But here, here's the thing. If, if Jesus is calling us to take up our cross and follow him, then our repentance always should end in sacrificial love for others. Our repentance always should end in costly obedience to God. If, if our lives aren't becoming more and more about loving people, then we're not repenting. If we're not actually getting out of our self-centered mindsets and loving people sacrificially with every day of our lives, we're not repenting yet. We might be trying to deny ourselves, but we're not embracing the call of Jesus on our lives to live not for ourselves, but for the glory of God and the joy of all people by sacrificing ourselves, suffering, laboring, working hard, making our lives about other people so that they can know God and God can be glorified. So this this helps me to, to kind of blow up my categories for repentance and help me see that I need to repent fully, which means I need to turn, yes, turn for myself, turn for my sin, but also turn to God, what? What would you have me do today to sacrificially love my wife and my kids and my church and my community? How, how are you calling me to follow Jesus? And so here's where we can, can think really concretely about this. If this is a daily call, then what does this look like today? What does it look like today for, for you to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow Jesus? And I'm going to just say four things here. First, understand that repentance is an ongoing reality for the Christian. When Jesus says daily, on the one hand, it teaches us that, that he requires us to do this every single day, but on the other hand, it tells us that there's never a day where we don't need to repent. There's never a day where we're not, we don't have sin indwelling. Jesus is not expecting perfection out of us. He's not saying that you need to repent, and if you, if you don't fully repent, then you're not my people. He's saying, no, you need to always be repenting. Every day be repenting. Every day be turning from your sin and turning to the way of the cross. So, so it's an ongoing reality. Repentance is part of the, the normal, regular, daily Christian life. So, so, then what, so what do we do? Well, we need to consider what desires do we need to deny? Consider in your own life, what, what sinful desires, what selfish ambitions do you have that you need to say no to today? Today, think about that. What do you want to do just in your, in your own self? What do you want to do with your time? What do you want to do with your money? What do you want to do with your thoughts? What do you want to do? And you say no to those things. Say, that's not, my life's not mine anymore. You turn from them. And then you need to consider not only what, what not to do, but then Jesus, what, how are you calling me to take up my cross and love others? How are you calling me to take up my cross and follow you? How are you calling me to take up my cross and obey my Father? How do you need to do that today? So, so what I did this week was, was I prayed, God, show me, show me how I need to respond to Jesus here. Because there was a point this week where I just felt like this is so abstract and I don't know what to do. So Lord, show me how I need to do this. And then I just began writing out uh, over and over uh, uh, this sentence. I need to follow Christ by denying myself and my desire for this and by taking up my cross in this way. 
That makes sense. I, I, need to, I need to follow Christ by de- denying my desire to take it easy when I get home from work, to, to, to sit on the couch and veg and just to mail it in with the kids. I need to deny that desire because that's about me. That's what I want to do. I need to, I need to say no to that. And instead, I need to take up my cross by sacrificially loving my wife and kids, by investing in them, getting down on the floor and talking to them, playing with them, doing the dishes, serving them. When, when they go to sleep, talking to my wife, investing her, building her up. I need to sacrifice myself in those ways, not just do what I want to do, which is just mail it in because I'm tired, but to, to give myself to my family, denying myself and, and, and sacrificially loving those in my life. That's, that's just one example. Our, our, and, and I just give you that example to help you concretely think about what does this look like in your life? What desires do you need to deny? What do you need to say no to? That, that, what do you need to look at and say, that's a selfish ambition, that's a sinful desire, that is really about me. And then turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, how would you have me love you, how would you have me obey the Father? What would you have me do to follow you today in active obedience? We don't just want people who repent by, by not doing a bunch of things. We don't want to be a church that doesn't do a bunch of things. We want to be a church that is following Christ, actively following him, obeying him, taking up our cross, and loving people the way he loved us. That's repentance. So we've looked at the meaning of repentance and faith, the life of repentance and faith, just a few more things here, church. I, I want to talk to you about the necessity of repentance and faith. And I want to do this by telling you guys uh, about experience in my life. When, when I was in high school, I was part of a church that, uh, for all appearances, seemed like a good church. But, but one year, they, they kind of came out with this teaching that essentially they said, repentance is not necessary for salvation. You don't need to repent to be saved. That, that, that was what they taught. And here's what they said. We're saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. We should not put the stumbling block of repentance in front of people. Repentance comes later. Repentance is, is what you do later. If you don't repent, you might lose out on rewards in heaven, but you're not going to lose Jesus because you're, you're saved by faith alone. And as a high schooler, church, I bought into this. This was good news. I mean, I mean why would we want to make it harder for anyone to be saved than, than we have to? Right, and so, so I completely bought into this, and I actually led a, I led a team of, on an evangelism team on a missions trip that summer, and I brought this with me on that missions trip, and we went door to door. You know what we did? We, we, we'd open the door and talk to someone. We would tell them, we would tell them, God is glorious. We would say, God created us, and He's worthy of all our worship, and He, He is good, and He loves us. But, but we've sinned against him. We've rejected him. We've rebelled against him. And we deserve hell. And, and apart from Christ, we're going to die in our sins. But God, God made a way. He sent Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And he lived a righteous life. He died for us and for our sins. He rose again. Now, that all sounds really good, right? That's the gospel. And, and then I said, you need to believe in him. And that's also the gospel. I mean, that, that, that is the gospel. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. But I didn't say anything about repentance. Now, there's, there's a lot of people making decisions and, and, and coming to Christ, and I pray that some of them really came to Christ. But there was one man who I was sharing with. He's probably 30 years older than me, and he looks back at me, and he says, again, I've not said anything about sin or repentance besides that you're going to die in your sins if you don't believe in Jesus. He says, I love my sin too much to follow Jesus. You know what? He understood it inherently. 
He understood the gospel. He understood that if what I was saying was true, that he, sin could have no part in his life anymore. He, he just implicitly got that. But you know what I did? I said, listen, you don't, don't worry about your sin right now. This is about getting saved. This is about not going to hell. This is about going to heaven. Worry about your sin later. That, that's something else. And I just, I just steered him away from it. And I praise God for, for saving me from that false gospel because it is a false gospel to tell someone that they don't need to repent to be saved. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Jesus warned that he will judge those who are ashamed of him. Jesus warned that if you don't take up your cross and follow him, you will be judged. Jesus didn't say, listen, just, just believe in me and get saved and we'll talk about the rest later. We are saved by faith alone. We are, but it is a repenting faith. It's a repenting faith. And here's where we need to understand that the relationship between repentance and faith is really that these are, these are two sides of the same coin. We're not talking about two different things here. We're talking about one thing as we peel that thing out and try to understand what we're looking at. It's repentance and faith, but we're talking about two sides of the same coin. And the reason is because of the type of truth claims that Jesus made. Think about truth claims. There's different types of truth claims in this world, isn't there? So, so we're teaching our kids their colors, and, and, we, and we point to something red. I'm colorblind, so I'm not good at this, but we point to something red and say, this is red. This is red. This is green. Okay, that's a truth claim, all right? What do they do with that? They say, okay. Okay, Daddy, thank you. You know, and, and they choose their favorite color. That's a truth claim. You don't need to do anything with that, right? But what about this? You, they get older, they're learning to drive, and, you, and, and if they haven't learned it yet, you tell them red means stop, green means go. That's a truth claim as well, but that's different than this is red, this is green. That's a truth claim where you say you need to do something with this. If you believe this, it's going to affect the way you live, right? If you believe red means stop and you're driving your car and the light turns red, what are you going to do? You're going to stop the car if you believe that. And so it's a truth claim that has a direct bearing on your life. Or think about, think about this. You are, say you're on a tour in some historic town. You're in a historic house, and, and the tour guide's taking you along, and, and, and they say every single brick in this house was, was built by the owner, the original owner. You say, wow, that's neat. That's really cool. He made all the bricks. And then you keep going through your tour, right? There's, there's nothing to do with that except to say, neat. But if someone comes in on that tour and says, the house is on fire, it's going to burn down, get out now. If you believe in that truth claim, what are you going to do? You're going to get out. You're going to get out of the house. It's going to have a direct bearing on your life. So, so what I want you to see is there's different types of truth claims. Some don't call for a response and some do. Now, what kind of truth claims did Jesus make? Jesus came and he said, I am the Savior. I'm going to live the life you could not live. I'm going to die the death you deserve to die. One day I'm going to come again and judge all those who don't trust in me. What kind of truth claims are those? They're the kind that if you believe them, you're going to do something about it. You're not going to believe them and, and, and be unchanged. You're going to believe them and you're going to do something. You're going to run away from your sin. You're going to run away from those things that put you in danger. You're going to run to Jesus who is God. And the thing is, you're not just believing that Jesus is a, he's not just a human get out of hell free card. That's not, that's not the kind of faith we are asking people to put in Jesus. We're not saying believe that Jesus will save you from hell. 
We're saying believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is worthy of worship, that Jesus is the greatest treasure, and that Jesus has loved you so much that he died for your sins. Believe that about Jesus. If you believe that, you will repent. It's necessary. Repentance is necessary. We need to preach a full gospel, calling people not only to make a decision for Christ, but to turn from their sins and turn to him because if they really believe he is who he is, then that will be what they do. And so, finally, I, I want to close with this. Is this possible? We, we said a few weeks ago that we are all sinners. We saw this morning we are all dead in our sin and our trespasses. We, we don't have the ability within ourselves to do anything good. And the reality is we will not believe, we will not repent if it's up to us. That's the reality. If repentance and faith are part of being saved, then no one will be saved left to themselves because no one will turn from their sins. No one's going to believe. But I want you to remember this story in the book of Acts. God sends Peter to a group of Gentiles. The Gentiles have not heard the gospel yet, and and God orchestrates things to send him to preach the gospel to them, and and this group of Gentiles believes. They they turn to Christ, and they put their faith in him, and then Peter goes to report to the church what had happened, and he tells them all that happened, how they believed that the Spirit came on them, and, and here's what the church said. In Acts 11, 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent, And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. To the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You hear that? He granted it to them. God gave it to them. He gave them the gift of repentance. And when did he do that? He gave them that gift when Peter came with the gospel and God opened their eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. So so when they saw the cross, God opened their eyes to repent and to believe. He granted it to them. And and this is how repentance and faith always work, even even once we are believers. We need to see the cross and have our eyes open to the cross if we are going to truly deny ourselves. We We need to see Jesus and what he did for us if we are going to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. So so are you are you struggling to repent in your life? Are you struggling to turn from your sin? Are you struggling to follow Jesus? You don't need to pull up your bootstraps today and just try harder. You need to look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look to what happened when he died for your sin. Look to his love. Look to his goodness. Look to his glory. And through that, God will grant you faith. God will grant you repentance. God will grant you to follow him by his grace. And so the music team can come. I'm going to close us in prayer. And what I want to call us to do right now is to look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Look to the one who died for us. Repentance is not our work. It is the gift of God. And he grants us that gift when we look at the cross and he opens our eyes to see his glory. And so I'm going to pray for that right now and then we will sing together. Father, we come to you. And and Lord, I thank you that in each Believer here, Lord, you have granted repentance. You have granted faith. You have, you have opened our eyes to the glory of Jesus. You have opened our eyes to the gospel, and you have, you have saved us, Lord. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't have anything to boast in this morning. 
We don't boast in the fact that we believe. We don't boast in the fact that we've turned from our sins because you've done it, God. You've changed our hearts and made this possible. Lord, for those who have not done this, I pray right now that today they would hear this word from you, that, that they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow you. Jesus, you demand all of us. You demand our whole lives. You don't, you don't come and, and say simply to uh, say a prayer and be saved, but you, you come to us and you say to give us, to give you all that we have, all that we are, to turn from ourselves and turn to you and to follow the way of the cross, Lord. Lord, the the way of the cross is difficult. The way of the cross is hard. The way of the cross is a way of suffering and death and shame. And we feel it in our hearts that we won't do it, Lord, if you do not help us, if you do not change us, if you don't enable us. And so right now as we sing, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in today's repentance. Lead us in today's faith. Lord, lead us today to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow you by showing us your love and your grace and your glory through the cross. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.